News. 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 New York City. F-A-Q. Welcome to FAQ NYC, the show that always satisfies. <laughs> I'm co-host Harry C, <laughs> opinion editor at the Daily Beast and columnist at the Daily News. At our studio at NYU's Mick Silver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research, along with co-host and Fordham Political Science Professor Christina Greer. Hi, Harry. So, we talked Monday to Meek Mill, who was speaking at the McSilver Awards, where he was honored as one of the six vanguards for social justice. The 31-year-old Philly native, actually, he's from North Philly, I'm from Mount Airy. Uh, so, the 31-year-old born Robert Ramik Williams spoke at the event about his new criminal justice reform advocacy and his own experience in the justice system, where he's continued to be punished long after completing an exceptionally long prison sentence from a 2007 gun charge where he was convicted days before his first album dropped. And so despite no convictions, and since a wildly successful career has has begun, he's repeatedly been sent back to prison for technical violations by Common Pleas Court Judge Janice Brinkley. That's the equivalent of a district judge here in New York City. And even as he's reportedly spent $30 million on his own defense. Let that settle in. $30 million to stay out of prison. So again, this is all in relationship to an 11-year-old crime following a dubious arrest that he's already been imprisoned for, and one of the charges was actually uh, hurting a police officer's hand, that is, running his face and his eyes into the police officer's fist. As you can see evidence on the cover of his, what is it, his first album, where his face is bloodied and bandaged and bruised. He was also, they reportedly used him as a battering ram, his face, to, to enter his home. Yes. In the course of that. So the new Philadelphia district attorney, Larry Krasner, has called for a new trial. And the appellate court in Pennsylvania is hearing Mill's case in July. But at least until that happens, Brinkley is still his judge. And amid reports that she's taken a highly unusual interest in his career, she's denied his request for a new parole officer. She's prohibited him from uh, traveling to tour, which is his living, mm-hmm. required him to take etiquette classes, sent him back to prison at least twice on technical parole violations. Yeah. She's also seemed weirdly infatuated. I just want to be a part of your life. That's, I mean, that's the word that his lawyer, uh, Joe Takapina, Takapina or Takapina. That could be he, He's Dr. his own Pena. story. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, he says that uh, Judge Brinkley has infatuated him. She's enamored with him. She showed up at his community service for homeless people. Um, she requested that he give her a shout-out in one of his songs. Um, she's also done things where uh, he was supposed to perform in Dubai and receive a $450,000 paycheck, but he needed sort of essentially travel approval. Like a, He put in a travel request, and he needed it by... Uh, March 15th. Um, Of course, she didn't return the request until March 19th to allow him to travel, so he had to miss that opportunity to make money. So it seems as though she's taken a a very weirdly uh, eager interest, not just in him, but his career and his life as well. So so he gets arrested in 2007 on this gun charge, mostly. The officers who were involved, who are like the badass bust through the doors officers of Philadelphia, say he pointed uh, the gun at one of them. Uh, that seems 
very unlikely, and he talks about this actually. I don't know if anyone really inquired on what happened to my face. I've been beat by police. I've been locked up in penitentiaries, counties, whatever you can think of, probation my whole life. And I actually experienced seeing young men like myself ate alive in the criminal system. What you say, it ain't no justice in the system. I never seen the side of justice. But in any case, he gets an exceptionally long sentence. Everyone else is charged with him all before the same judge. And he bypasses a jury trial because of the, the expense, since he has not yet made a uh, fortune as a performer. He hasn't debuted as a performer, in fact. He gets an exceptionally long sentence. He finishes that sentence. Since then, he's uh, committed no crimes. And yet, right. he's still part of this system, and he keeps ending up going back to prison, which is a, a sort of exceptional thing. When he's not been in solitary, he's had lots of time to think there, he started this reform alliance with Jay-Z and uh, Rockefeller and others that is trying to reduce the number of people who are caught up in the prison system or in the justice system and end up back in prison right. and unable to fully restart their lives, most of whom don't have a very successful performing career to fall back on. And they have a bill that's going forward in Pennsylvania, in fact, to end technical violations, parole violations that get people put back in for you know failing to uh, report to the parole officer or failing a drug test, um, his judge keeps testing him and he keeps passing. I mean, I just, I feel like people need just a teeny bit of context from Philly, right? Because for those of our listeners who don't know much about Philly, I mean, the shadow of Frank Rizzo, who's a former police commissioner, police officer, and mayor of Philadelphia, still looms large over the city. Um, race relations are still quite fraught. And Frank Rizzo is just a notoriously racist. He's sort of like the George Wallace of Philadelphia. Well, people talk about the Trump effect, and it was the Rizzo effect. Uh, people who don't want to say in a poll that they're going to support right. someone. So so Rizzo would, would, would underperform and then surprise. People who are embarrassed to tell pollsters would go in and yeah. uh, continue to, uh, to support right. him. Rizzo was behind the MOVE incident of 1978 for anyone who's familiar with, you know, Mamu Abdul-Jamal and members of his sort of organization, family, structure, neighborhood, community. And so I think, you know, when you think about police relations, I mean, they're still very fraught. I mean, you think about someone like Teddy Pendergrass, who's a very famous singer in Philadelphia. I mean, he was suing the city of Philadelphia when he got into his you know, famous car accident on Lincoln Drive. And he was more concerned about being alone with the police officers than sort of who he was with in his car, who was not his wife. So, I mean, like the, the history of Philadelphia and race relations and police uh, have n just not been resolved in any capacity. So Rizzo is gone by 1985 and Wilson Good is mayor. Yeah, when... first black mayor of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. and, and that is actually when a helicopter went over this building that these MOVE members were based in and dropped bombs on it. Vietnam-grade bombs. Yeah, in the city. Well, I mean, so this is a whole different episode. That. But let's be clear, Wilson Good got his chops working on Jesse Jackson's 1984 presidential campaign. So once Jesse Jackson, quote-unquote, loses in 84, you see the rise of all these black mayors across cities because they know how to fundraise, they're organized, they've 
figured out institutional structures to get black folks registered. And so, you know, Harold Washington, Chicago, 83. Jesse Jackson runs for presidency, 84, out of the city of Chicago. You've got Wilson Good, 85. You've got Dinkins, 89. And then you've got all these other sort of second-tier cities across the country post-Jesse Jackson running. So this is, you know, when we think about presidential, local, and state-level politics, that's a pretty interesting synergy and connection there. F. So, so the move stuff is its own history. Um, there's a lot happening there. There's also a shot cop in 1978, the bombing in 1985 in the middle of an American city by an American police force comes after this this somewhat crazy armed standoff at the building. If, if there's some wild Philly history going forward in time. That will take us to Rose Pierre Louis the chief operating officer of the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research. Before that, she served for eight years as the deputy borough president for Manhattan under Scott Stringer, and then in the de Blasio administration as senior advisor to the New York City Commission on Gender Equity and commissioner of the mayor's office to combat domestic violence, along with a lot else. So, Rose, fill us in on the, uh, on the event and uh, help us sort of set the scene. Sure. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Good morning, uh, Good morning fellow me. Jumbo. Ah, thank you, <laughs> Christina. So on Monday night uh, at the NYU Kimmel Center, the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research held its annual McSilver Awards, where we honor vanguards for social justice. And this year, we had six extraordinary leaders who, in their own right, are really helping to define an important moment here in the United States. So we had Sayu Bashwani, who is the CEO and founder of New American Leaders and is the first commissioner of the New York City Mayor's Office for Immigrant Affairs. We had, of course, Jose Antonio Vargas, who's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, a Tony Ward nominee for What the Constitution Means to Me, and the founder of Define America. We also had Reshma Sajwani, and Reshma is the founder of Girls Who Code, a former deputy public advocate. We had Yamiche Alcindor for Christina and for Harry, one of your colleagues, who is at PBS NewsHour, formerly with the New York Times. And, of course, we had Malcolm Jenkins. Malcolm Jenkins is an NFL player, safety with the Philadelphia Eagles, and the founder of the Players Coalition and doing a lot of great work around the issue of mental health. And, of course— And a ridiculously impressive guy. Ridiculously impressive and just— I'm embarrassed to be in a room with these journalists. uh, He— he was blew fantastic. everyone away. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and it's in the middle of camp also, you know, football camp mm. just started. So it was really uh, we're very grateful that he could be there. And of course Meek Mill, uh, who is a multi platinum winning artist, the founder together with JC of the Reform Alliance, who's doing so much work around criminal justice reform, and also is was at the center of the free Meek Mill movement. And of course, you know, when you think of someone like him and you listen to his lyrics and then you get a chance to hear him speak in such an intimate space, you understand why he's such an incredible artist. And when you hear 
the words of uh, his song Trauma, which the Times named as one of the most important songs right now. It was just incredible mm-hmm. to see him and to, I mean, you both were there, to hear him speak and to, to speak about the work that he's doing related to criminal justice reform. It was just a great mm-hmm. night, despite the pouring rain. The helicopter the, crash. The helicopter the crash traffic. and the traffic. But we had a capacity crowd and the energy was great. And we're just so happy that we were able to celebrate each and every one of these leaders who were doing such important work, mm-hmm. whether it be on behalf of uh, speaking about issues related to those who are undocumented, as Jose Antonio Vargas is doing, and now has a name, a school that's being named after I, him. It, that, I mean, that's so impressive in California. Well, I also like the fact that you all chose former McSilver Award winners yeah. to introduce this year's new inductees, just because I thought Maria Hinojosa's tribute to Jose Vargas and also Sayu Bajwani and many of the her colleagues, you know, Rishma and also Yamish, I just thought her introduction was so thoughtful. Erica Ford introducing Meek Mill sort of made, a, I thought, a really powerful New York-Philadelphia connection and some of the work that she's doing on the ground in communities. And he's sort of doing kind of the upper level 30,000 feet policy changes. And she's doing sort of some of the on the ground synergies that she was able to explain. I just thought that that was really Even that night she was doing that because she was dealing with someone in the community that had gotten shot Mm -hmm. right before she uh, walked onto the stage and one of her own members of Life Camp had gotten arrested. So, you know, she's an incredible leader. And we wanted to pair each of our honorees with past honorees Mm -hmm. who we felt were aligned in the kind of work. So we were so lucky to have not only Maria Hinojosa, who is a fantastic journalist and doing so much on behalf of the issues that we care about, but we also had Anna Oliveira from Mm -hmm. the New York Women's Foundation Mm -hmm. who introduced Sayu, uh, who's known Sayu very early on in her career in government and has watched her do this incredible work trying to recruit first-generation, second-generation Americans to run for office Mm -hmm. and to bring that kind of texture to the landscape of politics. So we really wanted to incorporate those voices and of course, Christina, as a former fellow here at McSilver, it was great to have you participate and to introduce you, me. She, we like to call her a Haitian sensation. Haitian sensation. <laughs> I mean, I you know, and she's from Miami, which my, my right. father's from Miami. That's right. So I, that's another little connection. I just, you know, can you tell us a little bit more about the thought process in choosing these individuals? Is it the moment? Is it to sort of really help them articulate the mission of the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research. How, what was your thinking? Because you you essentially put the entire evening together, and now you have a staff and really hardworking people. But walk us through how these five, these six were chosen. I think it's really uh, because of their alignment around the issues that we are working on. As you know, as a poverty institute, we are very focused on issues related to race, gender, inequality. And I think all of these honorees speak to that. More specifically, the work that is being done by Malcolm Jenkins around mental health. He's the executive producer of the film Black Boys Film and our executive director, 
Michael Lindsay is involved in that as well. So we've gotten to know Malcolm and to really understand that the work that he's doing and to think about his words as he talks about his own journey with mental health and that kind of vulnerability that he shared. Mm-hmm. For the other honorees, we are obviously very familiar with their work and felt that um, these were people, this was kind of a dream team of people mm-hmm. that I, I'm I'm still shocked as I was watching them and I look at the pictures like I can't believe we got six really busy people to be in the room at the same time when you think about getting Malcolm Jenkins from Philadelphia, Meek Mill is on tour, Jose, Tony Award. You know, there was just so much going on. On Monday, right? On on a Monday. So so, so (laughs) he he got the nomination on the day of. So with Meek Mill. Yes. He committed to this, I believe, a while ago. Yes, and we were very lucky, very, very lucky and very grateful to the Reform Alliance and to Rock Nation for helping us make that happen, to Sam Didier and to Samir who helped us with that. And we're just keeping our fingers crossed because we know things can change and just to have him there and to bring him to NYU and to really hear about his thoughts of what he wants to do through the Reform Alliance, I thought was incredible. Because, you know, when you see people on TV mm-hmm. and and you see them perform or you go see them in concert, it's very different than in this intimate setting of 200 people. And you hear his real genuine thoughts and feelings about an issue that he has personal knowledge of. As you know, there's a docuseries that's coming out on Amazon about him that we were actually able to show the trailer. And this man's journey is he's really in the forefront of a movement and really capturing the voice of a generation that has been impacted by the criminal justice system. And I thought his words reflected that. And I felt for the audience that it was like, everyone was like, Wow. You know, even if you were not familiar with his music, you're like, I'm going to go get championships because this guy is extraordinary. And he was in solitary. I mean, not that long ago, not just locked up again, but, you know, in protective custody. Well, one of the things that I think is so brilliant, um, LeBron James has a show on HBO. I believe it's called The Shop. Mm -hmm. And on the first episode, Meek Mill was on there. And he was very quiet for most of the episode. And then towards the end, he starts talking about, and they're talking about criminal justice reform, and he starts talking about solitary confinement. And in literally 15 seconds, what he said was so brilliant and really not only captured his experience, but really captured what needed to be done in terms of reforms and really the impact of things like solitary confinement on uh, young black and brown men in prison. So I think this is the perfect transition to uh, to Big Mill's own words. Um, thank you so much for, for coming on and for putting this together. You, that was Harry. an incredible night. Our yeah. 2019 Mick Silver Fellow. Thank you. We're looking forward to celebrating you on uh, on the 18th. Thank you for having I'll me. I'll be there. <laughs> thanks again, Rose. Thank and thanks you. for um, hosting FAQ NYC at the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and And Research. Research. We love you guys. We love you. Thank you. We love you back. I want to say uh, thank you uh, to the McSilver Institute for honoring me. Uh, All the honorees, um, my first time finding out about a few of you guys, and uh, I'm happy to be a part of 
Uh, the reform situation, you know, uh, I come up from North Philadelphia. You said South Philadelphia. I'm from North Philadelphia where uh, most people know me as a rapper, but, you know, I'm a young man that grew up in a, a, a bad environment where I decided to put most of my time into making music and, you know, uh, coming up. Uh, it was a long way. We come from conditions that you talked about with violence every day. I heard her speak on school shootings. Uh, Philadelphia, people die every day that look like me and come from where I come from. Uh, you know, I fought my way and, you know, I'm very honored to be in a position where I could use my platform and actually uh, do something for other people and, and, and make change in this world. And, you know, I never had a position to do that. Uh, I came up making music and rapping. Uh, my goal was always to really change the stigma of how we grew up in my family, like for my son and the ones that come after, because, you know, I grew up in a single parent home where it's almost like impossible to really make it out with people selling drugs on your doorstep and uh, it's murder in your area every day where you almost come up. That almost become like a lifestyle for you, basically a religion. The streets, I always called it like a religion because it's all you know is what you worship and what you grew up in. And, you know, I actually, me, myself, got a shot uh, to make it out of these conditions. And, you know, when I made it out, I still was being pulled back from uh, a probation violation that I was granted, I was gave at the age of 18. I don't know if anyone uh, really inquired on what happened to my face. I've been beat by police. I've been locked up in penitentiaries, uh, counties, whatever you can think of, probation my whole life. And I actually experienced uh, seeing young men like myself ate alive in the criminal system, which you say, it ain't no justice in the system. I never seen the side of justice. And, you know, I wanted to do something about it. And when I actually got the support from my people and people standing up for me at this last situation, uh, I felt like I should dedicate myself to you know, giving that support back. And I never had support growing up in a single parent home. Uh, after college, uh, after grade school, you know, it wasn't even really awards that we can think about. So, you know, I'm very grateful to have this award and this support to keep me pushing forward and, you know, making change. Uh, as of right now, we have a, a, a foundation called Reform. Me, myself, Jay-Z, Robert Kraft, uh, Michael Rubin, Clara Sire, Robert Smith, you know, when I was in prison, you know, I just came up with an idea of taking the most uh, people with influence, power, money, uh, giants in every field that I can think of and bring them together and bring them together for a cause that can make better change in America. And it's been working. So I would say thank you for your support and uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate you all. Okay, we're recording. With Meek Mill, we're recording. Thank you. Hey, Philly. How you doing? Mount Airy, that's right. All right. Great job. Thanks. Um, so, welcome to FAQ NYC. I'm Chrissy Greer. This is my partner, Harry Siegel, esteemed yeah. journalist. I'm a professor doing? at Fordham University. So, we wanted to just ask you a few questions. One, I wanted to start with, you know, there are always uh, conversations about uh, people getting arrested. But I thought the picture that the new documentary is going to show was really powerful because yeah. clearly you didn't beat your own self up yeah. on the way to getting arrested. So can you just tell us a little bit about the violence that happens even before the arrest? Uh, you know, uh, I always tell people, I use that picture right there for the CD of one of my albums before. I always told people, like, when a picture shoot, nobody ever asked what happened. Uh, it's just a normal thing, and uh, I would say in where I come from in the black community, getting arrested, 
nine times out of ten come with like a, a ass whooping that that's always been a result of what I've seen growing up. Even even I think it was two days ago, someone asked me how many times I was beat by police. I never even talked about it. I only talk about the one time other case that I'm actually fighting now, but probably uh four or five times. It's basically it was normal coming up. Yeah. And the conditions we came up in, yeah. In North Philly. Yeah. Not South Philly. Yeah, and I think I file my well, my mom probably filed reports every time I got my hand, hands put on me by police, but uh, no action was never take, taken. And actually, the picture you seen, I was charged for actually hurting one of the officer's hands. I think the charge got thrown right. out. Yeah, from you my, hurt his fist. Yeah, my head hitting his fist. So you know, uh, that was just the normal. I saw you saying on Twitter that you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't go back. To North Philadelphia at this point. No, I said I was in North Philadelphia yesterday. I just say uh, I try my best to stay far from those type of conditions. We're talking about the streets and the hood uh, where people look like me die every day. You know, I don't think it'll be a smart decision for me to hang out in those places. Why do you think that your case has sort of ignited a national slash international movement? You're clearly not the first rapper to get arrested. You're clearly not the first rapper to go through incarceration in the criminal system, yeah. right? I'm thinking about Gucci Mane, I'm thinking about Migos, I'm thinking about people who are currently incarcerated. Why do you think that your case in particular ignited such a passion with people across the country? Uh, I just think people that follow me saying me from making it through so much, when I'm telling you making out of places where people die every day, people where everybody's on drugs and uh, making it out of the system, people see me make it so far and be probably the first rapper to sentence to years in prison for not even committing crime. I've been on probation since I was 18. I'm 32 years old. I never got convicted or sent back to was even really accused of committing crime since I was on probation. And people to see somebody come so far and be pulled back down to a penitentiary, I think that was kind of outrageous. And the fact that me being a person with a public uh, platform, you know, uh, sparked a little outrage. Mm -hmm. How does your, uh, the reform work you're doing now with the Alliance and your own cases that's going up to the appellate, like how does that tie in with the rest of your career now that you're out, but you're still on probation, right? After yeah. all this? I'm on probation and uh, yeah. What, do those parts come together at all? Like the, the work you're doing, uh, you know, as public service and as you're trying to get out and yeah, put it, time? Uh, it works for everyone that, in my situation, anyone who's been unfairly treated in the system and I'm a part of that. so. I guess it has to be effective to me too, but you know, this is my life. And uh, we're starting with probation and parole. Uh, probation and parole eats a lot of people like myself up who come home and actually try to do right without committing crime, place back in prisons, and you know, really not really have a fair shot at life. So, you know, I would say yes. All right. Well, uh, last question. Uh, has any of this inspired you to either run for office or <laughs> no. possibly yeah. teach law? No, I, mean, I don't really care about that type of stuff. I, uh, I wouldn't even really care about really getting an award if I didn't get one, you know what I'm saying? Right. I wouldn't really dwell on it if I didn't get an award, you know, it's, it's a part of my life, what I grew up in my whole life. And if I can help others, you know, I spent a lot of my life rapping and making music, trying to make it out of my situation that I came from. You know, being a part of helping others, you know, it's new to me. So if I can do it and use my life and my my traumas and, and make things better, yeah, why not? Well, as a Philly girl, you make me very, very proud. Thank you. Thank Mount Airy, yeah, stand up. <laughs> thank you very much. All right, thank you for having me. F-A-Q. F -A -Q. 
FAQ. NYC is headquartered at the Silver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research. And is supported by a grant from Civil, a blockchain company working to fix the economics of journalism. Thank you to McSilver's own Rose Pierre Louise and executive producer Alex Brooklyn and episode producer Adam Camara. Talk to us on Twitter, rate us on iTunes, and remember, you can't spell progress without F A Q. What does that mean? What do you mean? I thought it said you can't smell progress. And then also, <laughs> I wanted to say to tutor. Twitter, Twitter, <laughs> or Tyoons. I was like, is Harriet Touch dyslexic? So I was like, iTunes, it says Tyoons. Talk to us on Tyoons. <laughs> Talk to us on Tyoons. We do it our way.